Hey, another week, another Molecule to Market. So thank you for being with us today, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. As always, I'm your host, Roman Tagal, and in today's episode, I'll be talking about the pharma and biotech um, ecosystem with Mr. TJ Higley, who is the CEO at Microsize. So who is TJ? Well, TJ joined Microsize in 2022 as its CEO to lead the company into the next phase of its growth. He brings 25 years of experience in the pharmaceutical market, mostly uh, focused uh, as a former owner and executive leader of PowderSize, uh, the original and first CMO focused on pharmaceutical microization in the US. TJ led both business development efforts and oversaw the site quality team during his tenure, culminating in the acquisition of the company by Capsigel in 2015 and the integration into Lonza. So a couple of hints there from TJ's biography as to what we are going to talk about today. As always, please like uh, this uh, podcast wherever you're listening to it and maybe give us a kind rating as well. Enjoy today's show. Hey, TJ, welcome to Molecule to Market. Thank you, Raman. This is great. Pleasure to be invited and, and tell our story. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I had the, obviously, we had the pleasure of meeting at DCAT in New York uh, a few months back. So I'm, I'm really pleased that you took me up on the invitation. And obviously, it's been a very exciting time for Microsize in the last few months. But before we get there, let's rewind the clock slightly and you know give us and our listener a bit of an overview, TJ, of your journey into the sector and ultimately where you are today. Yeah, I, I came with it, a chemistry background uh, through education and then some graduate work in biochemistry and an MBA um, while I started as a, a QC chemist in uh, a medical device area. I wanted to get on the business side and, and started an MBA was working on that in an engineering role, a very technical role, scaling up new products, but again, outside the farm industry and more in the medical device space. And I had an opportunity to come to Pennsylvania and I found Powder Size, uh, which was the original company that was now what's called Microsize. And I, I started there um, and it was a 20 person company and loved the original founders uh, and they were looking to exit the business and looking for a new generation to kind of lead the company and so myself and a, and a partner wayne sigler uh, were able to take the reins of the company and do the day-to-day -day operations and we did that for well over a decade and with a, a small company you get to wear many hats and that's how i found the space and and fell in love with it so i Came with um, not much of a regulatory background, but kind of grew into that space. We split up the business uh, where I took care of everything customer facing or powder size at that time. Customer facing meant representing quality, the audits, FDA audits, client audits, uh, and then doing all the business development. So uh, project management, uh, sales and marketing, all those aspects kind of fell into my half of the business and he took care of, uh, Wayne took care of the inside operations, HR, engineering and production operations and efficiencies and such. So we, we did that for 10 years and got to wear many hats and 
met a lot of different customers, different projects, and so really fell in love with space. So that's how, that's how I landed here. And we'll, we'll we'll take a pause point there. And uh, I didn't I did notice from your your background. You also spent a, a kind of a, a chunk of time uh, earlier in your career as well. Um, before I suppose before you got into the the into powder size. Once you once you fell into that kind of company in that role, was it just the the nature of the work, the dynamic of the team? What was it that you know, ultimately? had you sticking around there for 10, 11 years or whatever, was it, was it the culture of the business? I'm sure it's a combination of factors. Yeah. I, I think far and away it was the culture and it was the ability to, I had previously worked for Eastman Kodak on the medical device uh, side of their business, making a, a medical de- device fill and scaling up in a uh, plant out in Oregon. So far removed from headquarters, every business unit was very siloed. So I just, I felt that I wasn't getting exposure to the marketplace issues of what we were making, the business side of increasing the sales. And that's where I was really drawn is to get that full story and how that translated down to the shop floor. And so walking into this micronization house, you know, all of that was available to us. Learn the voice of the customer, learn the needs of your customer. How can we add value to uh, a micronization project beyond just uh, moving the powder through the facility, and so that that was a big piece of it. And the team here, you know, we had to navigate each other's strengths and weaknesses and figure out how to come up with a, a successful formula. And so there was a lot of in, innate trust in each other's abilities and a lot of patience as we navigated through this because you know we didn't have unlimited resources like. A bigger company we had, we had to figure it out with what was available to us, and that was really intoxicating uh, in the early part of my career. I know Sonia Link did it; it's a co-owner of Powder Size. So, were you one of the? If, if I understand correctly, you weren't one of the founders, but you ended up being one of the two guys effectively running that business. Yeah, so we came in, or when I came in, it was uh, to replace the founders that were retiring kind of take over the day-to-day operations uh, with another colleague who uh, kind of rose up through the ranks here as well. And so he and I partnered to take over the business, running it for the original founders. But during that tenure, and very quickly, uh, we had the opportunity to uh, buy them out and, and take full ownership of the company. And so what was the time scale between you buying them out? And then I'm going to come to uh, I believe the eventual sale of the business to, to Capsugel Lonza. But before we get there, what was the, I suppose, the time scale and scale of the business when you, I suppose, invested in control to what the business looked like when you ended up exiting that business? Yeah, I was probably here uh, five years uh, and then started navigating and transitioning, putting that sale together, which took a good year and a half or so uh, to make the existing shareholders uh, who we were close with, comfortable on the exit strategy for them and for us and put together the financing. So it took about a year and a half. Uh, and then we kind of took the the company in a different direction, which included a sale, but that sale happened way quicker than we would have ever imagined or planned for. And let, well, I'm going to come back to that because I'm, I'm dying to ask you about that. But you, you've mentioned, and obviously it's central to your businesses, micronization this concept of micronization, this this 
technology of micronization, this skill. If any of our listeners are listening and thinking, I don't really understand that. I've not come across that. It's not been part, you know, if they're further, uh, you know, involved in, say, clinical research or they're involved in a different part of the industry, can you, do you mind just, I suppose, dumbing that down for our listener in terms of what that means in terms of how it uh, you know, helps companies with developing and manufacturing uh, particular products? Sure, sure. It, it's a well-established technology for working with small crystalline molecules that have dissolution challenges, which then result in low bioavailability. Mm -hmm. So we micronize the material by passing the powder that after it's made, the API after it's precipitated out and dried into a coarse powder, we'll run it through our technology, which is jet mills, and it makes it extremely reproducible and extremely fine. It's a nice, tight Gaussian distribution of particles really wherever the client needs them to be. The lowest it could be is a few single digit micron means and definitely the entire distribution below 10 microns or anywhere else up the x-axis that they would need. Mm -hmm. And the, the whole concept is driving it down to a lower size exponentially increases the amount of surface area. That surface area can interact uh, in the body and, and improve the dissolution rate. Um, so if you have more dissolving at certain points in the GI tract, more is available to be absorbed by the body and become effective. And is, does micronization have any, I suppose, competition? And what I mean by that is when people are looking to utilize that particular technique, are they also looking at other techniques as alternatives or in addition to adjacent to micronization? Like what, what tends to be that kind of process? Is it, is it kind of one or the other? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, certainly, this technology came into the pharmaceutical space from other industries originally, and pharmaceutical companies started using it in the 70s. So it's been around for a long time, several different N NDAs, and it's it's now kind of the, the first go-to fast, easy, scalable, uh, non-patent-protected way to assess if you can improve that uh, bioavailability through a jet milling or a micronization type approach. But yet, certainly over the years, a variety of new technologies have come out to take that same API molecule instead of making it crystalline and well-organized with high activation energy to get it to dissolve and start falling apart in the body. Newer technologies will make it amorphous, less organized, and less stable uh, to fall apart and dissolve and, and become soluble in the body faster. So there's uh, probably three or four or five competing technologies in the amorphous space. Um, but they have their own challenges, there's pros and cons to everything. But we'll sometimes, even in those amorphous technologies, will require some sort of particle engineering either of the excipients that are used in some of those other technologies and or the the API itself, either pre or post one of those technologies. So we are aware of the entire space and, and what's involved and try to add value where we can, whether you're going staying crystalline or you're going amorphous and add some particle engineering control regardless. Milling, even if even if soluble adding this milling step and is way more precise than what could be done during chemical synthesis at precipitation. Those distributions tend to be 
very wide, very ugly, uh, and very unreproducible as, as dosage forms and the amount of drug in a dosage form goes down, you want those limited number of particles to behave the same from pill to pill to pill to pill. So you want a tighter distribution so that all of your API performs the same way instead of having a, some particles that are hundreds of microns and some particles that are 10 microns, which is often the case in something that comes right out of uh, precipitation from the chemical synthesis process. Well, thank you for that. That's actually good. I appreciate you clarifying and actually just giving us, I suppose, some of the, the wider picture of the, this was the advantages of utilizing such technology and the alternatives as well. So let's go back to the powder size business and then back in 2016, I believe, uh, the acquisition by Caps Gel Lonza. So talk us through you know, in my mind, based on the story, you know, you've got this great technology, you guys are building a great company, you're having fun, you're, you're doing a lot of the business development and, you know, presumably making contacts, getting regular customers. What then led to the acquisition? Was it a triggering event in your own business that, you know, you wanted to take the business to market or was, you know, was it a knock on the door? It would be great if you could take us back. So I imagine that was, uh, that was an unexpected, but a fun part of your journey. It definitely was. It was um, when they look back and, and really put me in the seat again to do that exact same thing. Uh, it was a lot of fun stepping on the gas once we had control um, to really see what this business could do and how we could grow it and move it in new ways. And so back in the, in the 2015, 2014 timeframe, once we had control, we realized that uh, we wanted to increase the sales and marketing piece but capital constrained and so trying to explore different ways of doing that through partnership and instead of organically growing a sales and marketing force uh, in-house. So we met uh, Derek Henneke and his formulation company, which was the next step after micronization and his company was Excellience in Florida. And he was doing he had a sales force of 12 people there were a number of projects coming in. He had some unique formulation capabilities, especially on the capsule filling side that was very attractive at that time. And so he had a number of projects in a sales force and he had interest in micronization because he was using it on a routine basis. And so once we got together and he became familiar with the asset, uh, we both saw the potential and, and equally got excited. And so we formed a partnership uh, where he came into our business um, and the three of us, uh, Wade and I, he was gracious enough to come in and, and let us continue to have control. So we brought him on in a meaningful arrangement for all of us. And as soon as we did that, you know, there was some excitement and there was a lot of M&A activity at that time. And so that quickly drove a year later, the sale to Castro. And so that's when we exited the business full uh, and we all sold, Excellent sold, powder size sold to Castro. Was it all the same deal effectively? Was it a bit of a roll up that they were buying both companies in one go? Yeah, yeah, by design. We definitely wanted to go together as a complete package because it was very 
synergistic and complementary to add micronization to this formulation house salience. But then Capsgel saw the value of within their portfolio, they had all the complementary technologies uh, outside of micronization in the amorphous space. So that, that was a great way to kind of cover all bases with this asset having large scale capability, great EBITDA, great profit margins, a lot of commercial uh, routine stable product lines to add that into what they were going after, which was clinical trial material, a little longer timelines, a little bit more risk to add on this uh, micronization asset, which had a heavy, heavy commercial stable baseline. And you've said earlier on, which I noted down, that this all happened much quicker than you expected. So when, and I certainly, and you mentioned Derek Haneke, who is a terrific guy, and we'll come back to talk about Derek, but for our listener, Derek was a guest on episode 113, and he's a really fantastic guy, and I, and I certainly suggest that if you haven't heard his episode, to go back and, and have a listen. I'll come back to Derek in this episode, because his, his story remains entwined <laughs> with yours, TJ, which we'll talk about. But when when you guys were pulling together that partnership, was it driven by this partnership will bring potential acquirers, or was, or was that not necessarily the aim was the aim just if we actually bring this partnership together we are offering a service offering connected that will make things easier and better for clients and actually the the ultimate acquisition just was a consequence of of good business yeah i i think uh definitely in the near term it was the the synergies and the the ability to add micronization to his projects and for us to have better access to the market and be aware of all the new molecules that were needing formulation and, and looking for solutions. So it was extremely synergistic, and but our timelines matched up really well. So we were kind of looking at potentially exiting in, in five, seven years. Um, after we got control, that would have been a, a total of a 10-year a decade type ownership. And, and so that was attractive, and that kind of matched uh, Derek's timeline with Excelling. He had bought it. He had worked there previously and, and bought his, his company that he owned, similar to our story, where we had access to a great asset and, and wanted to uh, control it and continue our, our leadership. And so we had very similar stories there. And uh, we were both extremely entrepreneurial about how we uh, ran the business and, and made certain decisions and took certain risks. And so all that was... Uh, very well aligned. So we saw that continuing. But unbeknownst to us, Castiel was getting very, very aggressive um, in their M&A activity because they were uh, a KKR company. And in year seven, when they bought us and added us to their portfolio, so they were getting close to an exit themselves. Um, so they really turned up the heat to, uh, to bring in these final pieces of a formulation uh, asset and uh, micronization came along with that ride and kind of completed theirs. And so then <laughs> that became the second integration for uh, this asset was to integrate with Capsgel and then Capsgel found a buyer in Lanza uh, two years later. So a lot, a lot of change, uh, but a, a tremendous amount of additional exposure beyond what Excellence uh, was as a, a 100, 150 person type company, 
going in through the, the Castro world as a, a full portfolio of solutions and then to Lanza as well, uh, just a ton of education, a ton of uh, exposure to different business practices that, you know, now as Microsize, we've taken the good uh, and kind of shed off some of the, the things that don't work for a smaller asset. And I think we're better because. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. We're going to come on and spend a good chunk of time with Microsize and, and rightly so, given that's the business you are uh, leading today. Before we do that, I have to just, you know, the, the, it's interesting what you said there, the kind of the timeline of, uh, you know, a, a yes, seven acquisition under a big PE company and then a roll up into Lonza. It's interesting. I was, I was smiling because it just demonstrates the dynamic of the market at that time in particular. It's still certainly like that today, but nowhere near as aggressive as it was then. And, you know, you guys, you know, Derek and yourself away and took a risk and, you know, brought that partnership together and took the proposition to market. So congratulations to you guys for, for doing that and ultimately getting a successful sale. And, and, and I did want to just touch on your time with Capsule Alonza because you know, looking looking back, you were spent the best part of two years in that role. Which, how how did you find going from I suppose being an owner driving a business entrepreneurial with the likes of Derek to then being part of I suppose a much bigger machine? It's not, you know, in my experience, it's not always the best fit to have a an entrepreneur end up in a large organization like that. But what was what was your experience like uh, in that transition? Yeah, it was, it was uh, definitely tough. Uh, I was excited for the possibilities and, you know, wearing many hats to maybe choosing the hats that I enjoyed the most out of uh, running the business. And, but even with that, it, it, it seemed to be a little bit uh, too focused and I had a lot of uh, allegiance to the site but I was moving towards more of a commercial role and less involvement uh, with day-to-day. And then strategic decisions, important clients, my voice was lost a bit, and I didn't know how to navigate a a big company, quite honestly. So I just felt it was time to, if I couldn't service our existing clients, it just felt like it was time for me to disassociate and, and uh, move on with other choices. So I went into consulting um, a bunch of personal pursuits uh, for several years and really wanted to get back in the space. So I was kind of toying around with the solubility space and where I could come back in. And at the same time, coincidentally, uh, Lanza was looking to exit. So it really was a, a perfect situation. And that, and that leads us nicely on, actually, before I, we're going to microsize, one final question around your power size success and the eventual acquisition. And I, and I don't know if you've got a kid's wife, partner, family, et cetera, et cetera, but presumably when you decided to take ownership of the business at power size, that was a, a huge decision that I'm sure you took counsel off people around you that trust and then you know, fast forward uh, maybe three or four years later where you're then selling the business, presumably for lots of money. Like, you know, 
assuming you had that conversation with those around you, talk about the contrast. I'm just trying to get my head around. You know, if, if it was me with my wife, for example, I'd be like, right, I'm going to, you know, we're going to remortgage a house. We're going to, I really believe in this business. We're going all in. And, you know, my wife would be like, are you crazy? What, what are you doing? And then two years later, or whatever the timeline was, hey, we've, we're actually selling the business and we're going to be making a, you know, a significant chunk of money at this stage. But talk it, if I appreciate I'm exaggerating and paraphrasing, but what was the contrast like in such a short space of time? Well, I mean, personally, I, I was married at the time and two kids. And when the opportunity came, and this was something that was discussed several years and it really was there available at the time where I chose to come to Powder Size. So, you know, we had several years to kind of work into the original folks exiting the business and then Wayne and I pick it up. So in, in that, through personal tragedy, that one of the original founders passed away. Um, so that stalled and sped up and had some bumps of its own um, during that process. But, you know, it eventually happened. And so it was a little surprise personally. Understood, yeah. But it was a huge risk, as you alluded to. You know, we we took we were two people that needed to come up with this, you know, more fun than uh, an original group of uh, probably a dozen original shareholders who started the company. So yeah, we mortgaged everything. I, I took every equity and, and vehicles. I remortgaged anything paid off. <laughs> got a loan on it to generate cash to uh, come in. And the original founders had a great employee shareholder purchase program. They wanted employees to be owners and, and that those shares had appreciated. So that, that was the biggest piece to facilitate this happening, which was phenomenal. And that drove the culture because everyone was tied into the success. And so that's, you know, definitely something that we're trying to get back to and, and recreate. Uh, and we have those elements. So there are a number of employees here that that instantly came in with microsides frontline to upper level management did the same thing and for our listener i really want to underline tj's journey there and i suppose the the reality of an entrepreneur and you know we have we've been fortunate enough to have guests like yourself tj that have built you know grown and built business and ultimately sold either to private equity or sold to a strategic buyer in in this case and i think one thing our listeners probably don't always appreciate it's not the right word but they probably don't always get a view of is that sacrifice and that risk behind the scenes and the way that you described that i think was uh was really um really fantastic because uh, i think it really brings to life kind of ro- rolling of the dice and the belief that you that you that you go on as an entrepreneur and ultimately for you the fact that your team was bought into it and everyone shared in the success really is a, a magnificent story. So yeah, thank you for sharing that kind of backstory. So let's bring that brings us nicely on to Microsize. So you you hinted at you know Alonza sold you the site. So almost this, your story is in, in intertwined with Derek and in Lonza. So how did Microsize come about? My understanding is is it the same site that Powder Size was originally on, and kind of how did how did that all kind of come about? It's a unique story. So I had been staying involved on the consulting side and I had uh, kept my finger close to this asset and I knew some of the the troubles it was having and I knew some of the frustrations from the vendor side and from the client side. 
and there was enough of those stories to say maybe there's maybe there's room for another independent micronizer out there and maybe uh, we do this again so I, I started going down that road with uh, uh, one of our existing board members uh, Matt Callahan and we kind of explored that option and looking at partnerships with uh, existing assets and and talking to clients that had products that needed homes and were unsteady about doing that in in Quaker Town with the leadership and so we thought we had enough to start a business and I was actually flying home from a client site on the consulting side and and putting these pieces together and had had the name had the logo microsize and Derek called who was on my list <laughs> and of people to talk to to say we'd love to have you join and his first line when I picked up the phone was do you want to get the band back together <laughs> and I <laughs> thought he was talking about the the, the rumor mill and, and got to him and he wanted to come on in and which would have been great because we definitely needed his support um, and he would have been a, a key leader of that and he was talking we so I told him gave him all the details of where I'm at where what we're doing and and he's given me his details about what it could look like in this this micronization space and how we should attack it but he had been approached by Lanza by selling the asset and I had no idea Quaker Town was for sale and so we talked for a good 20 minutes before we put the <laughs> the pieces together that oh we're talking about this uh and, and buying Quaker Town so that by far and away was the best asset yeah, the best solution the best pathway for what we wanted to do I think it was great for the people here it was I think it was great for Lanza they they wanted to do they were excellent steward of people and and getting this to the best owners and so um, I, I know they had gone through uh, a couple different offers and they landed on us uh, which was fantastic what a terrific story that is in terms of the like I suppose the the fate of you deciding to okay I want I think we could do this better or different and actually then that call from Derek ultimately leading to that Lonza site and presumably they were just divested in the site and wanted to focus on on other areas of their kind of huge huge business and felt that you guys were the right buyer and, it, and just just to kind of the obvious question is it exactly the same site is it exactly the same team more or less or has there been a, a significant amount of change since you you know it's been if my maths is correct it's been a good you know five years or so has passed between when you left and when you took over yeah the core was the same so a lot of the same existing product lines very stable product lines uh a lot of the same people the leadership the frontline operators so you know we've had our plant managers been here since the d doors opened 30 years ago wow um so and and that all the way down to like our operator two levels from operations people plant managers team leaders operator twos they're all north of a decade's worth of experience so there's a deep pool here that's been through all these transitions uh and like what they do um so that was there and so the, that was a great attractive feature to be able to hit the ground running we knew the business we knew the product lines we knew uh where they were going so we could kind of make a reliable forecast 
with what we were buying, uh, without having to slow the process down and do a tremendous amount of due diligence. We just knew what, what we had. So that was great. But then it, to the changes, yeah, they, there was improvements, caps gel and lines of both made some significant investments. Um, and I think caps gel put in two suites that we were recommending as powder size to, to grow into our second building that, that Wayne and I had acquired. Uh, we were definitely built out of a powder size original facility and we had acquired during our ownership a second facility, but needed some more capital to do that expansion and caps gel saw that and, and helped us build those. Uh, and that then turned over to Lanza. And as soon as those were built during the caps gel, we were filling them and using them. And now they're used on a daily basis here. And that Lanza was, uh, uh, did some more quality improvements and added some robust features, um, backup power generation in all of our, we've got 70,000 square feet of, uh, warehouse space between three different sites. And we CRT our control room temperature, uh, all of them, uh, and, and added backup generators to those so that regardless of, uh, what the weather conditions are runs continuously uh sop upgrades digitization there was uh, a lot of things that a small mom and pop shop had from a paper perspective that caps gel lanza had access to other tools and that knowledge continues on so no one's uh not familiar with uh we had acquired dot control during our ownership but then we digitized training, we digitized uh, the calibration and PM program and all that continues. And that just makes the business easier to run. So if I understood correctly, you've you've recaptured the business that you sold and it's, if anything, it's a bit more robust even now than it was then in terms of the investment that's gone into it. And from from a I suppose a capabilities perspective in in areas that you focus is it more or less the same it is what the business was doing when you were powder size or have you looked to I suppose augment any capabilities or you know dive into other areas with with this version two point zero yeah I think uh, you know having those years off to kind of envision what the what it could be materialized so as soon as we had assets. Uh, had the asset under control, we started down that pathway. And, and phase one was to become customer-centric again and very responsive and very high-touch uh, with our existing customers who were kind of lost their way. We didn't get a lot of attention in the Lanza world BD-wise uh, for our asset. And so, you know, they had businesses that were growing and, and near doubling, and they didn't have confidence that the site was going to be able to keep up with their volume. So we staffed the facility correctly, hired a ton of operators and, and hooked them up with our operator threes and our assistant plant managers and brought them up to speed to shorten lead times again and be responsive to these growing product lines that were in the portfolio. And so we staffed it right was the, the first thing. We looked at where some products had grown volume-wise and we were on a, the wrong validated system that was designed with the intent that it was never going to grow past volume X, but it, it had over the 10 years. And so we've 
we've transitioned and revalidated into higher throughput, better solutions uh, to increase rates. So we've been gaining capacity over this uh, year substantially. And so that was that was really phase one was just kind of right sizing the micronization train uh, to the best it, it can be. And so, the, and the second phase that was always there, and you know, it takes a long time to find good partners, but we do want to partner uh, with complementary assets and technologies, and and so we we went down that pathway of kind of exploring how do we increase our capabilities, and so phase two was accelerating a, a build out of a crystallography lab, and and our senior science PhD level scientist Jason Riggs who was a one of the best hires at Lanza and put together and and got behind continues on super excited about microsize and we just accelerated his vision of adding a much more uh, scientific approach to the developmental package and we were already doing different micronization trials developing the process doing DOEs but the ability to add uh, full characterization not only size, but add every level of morphology technology out there, all the way down to SEM, to microscope analysis, and and some automated uh, morphology, and then also crystallography. So we accelerated what was kind of a four-year plan. We got that done in six months and just cut POs and and reef resurfaced the lab, uh, put in all new edgework and lighting, and kind of made a crystallography lab and. That's been well received. So every new project, they need to understand their molecule. They're going through filings. They're going to do it eventually. To do that all in one stop shop and early and have that understanding early um, has been fantastic for the customers. So that was that was a piece. And we recently announced last week um, we found a partner in the solubility company, which is a another characterization technology that's very complementary. To the crystallography that we we're doing, and this is a, a technology out of University of Helsinki, and it's a small five or six person company in Finland in Helsinki, uh, run by Sami at the Solubility Company, and they were looking to take their next step and come to the U.S. and open up a lab instead of receiving samples. Everyone from around the world was shipping their their samples to Helsinki, and their biggest market was the U.S. and that. That does have its limitations in terms of uh, going through tariffs and customs, and it, it's a hassle. So for a very quick and easy and rapid value add, which is what this technology is in terms of testing and giving you a solubility answer early with very low material. And so a U.S. site to kind of remove one major barrier was a piece for him. So we were able to kind of find those synergies and all of our customers are interested in those answers and all of our customers are very focused on uh, reducing the amount of material to when they make that material it's extremely valuable it's extremely limited they want to get as much work done and as many answers uh, as they can with that limited amount of material so this is a, a fantastic way to do that yeah great news on the partnership i did read about that and that was on my list to ask you about so thanks for for, for picking that up, TJ. And we have a few final minutes left. And I suppose, you know, you're 12 to 18 months into uh, microsize and growing the business. I believe you're up to 
more than 25 staff already. So in addition to the investment, the team is growing. I'm sure there's a huge amount of excitement. So talk to us about what does the future look like for the business? And if you can overlay that with you know, what's happening in the market right now, and I suppose why, why you guys are in the right place to, I suppose, take advantage of, of market trends and shifts that we're, we're seeing at the minute. I, I think uh, near term, our plans are to continue to, to keep the, our pedal on the gas and keep accelerating the, the sales and marketing piece. So we, for 30 years, our growth has all been fueled by word of mouth. And we've never had an in-house sales force or a marketing. That's always been kind of uh, the CEO role or the, the president's role. And so we're, we're looking to add some dedicated resources uh, and hire our first uh, sales team to go out and do that for my organization to take advantage of the capacity that we've generated over the last 12 months. Uh, so that's a piece. And we're very interested in bringing uh, some complementary technologies. This micronization again is is not always the answer. It's, it, it's a sliver of a solution um, that feeds class two A type challenges uh, in our in the DCS classification system. Um, but there's the other half of that class two, and there's some class four challenges that other technologies would address. And so bringing those in in a non-competitive way. And, and I'm a big fan of partnership. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've seen, I've, I've, yeah. Definitely, I've literally just, under, I've, I've written that in my notes and I think it is a point for our listener. I think you epitomize the, you and your business journey are the epitome of, of, of how you build strong strategic partnerships and the value add. Like it seems to be a big part of the way you go about doing things, which I think is, is a great learning for our listener. Yeah, yeah, you can't do everything yourself, right? And and it's faster often if you find the pain points, something that you're good at and you have that may be a pain point for somebody else. And so for us, that means we have capacity. We've got great commercial scale GMP systems and all the overhead that goes with that. And so if that CapEx is a pain point for somebody else and having turnkey operations is a pain point for somebody else that exists here with a very entrepreneurial spirit and, and a business model that's more fee for service than trying to collect royalties and do the formulation piece which is other people's expertise because they developed other technologies and there's several of them out there so i think you know hopefully uh something kind of manifests that way in our future um where we can work together with uh, some amorphous type technologies that would complement our top-down crystalline type uh, article engineering technology. That should feel our growth for the next uh, 10 years or so. No, I think so. And I think, I mean, my final question was more around, you know, how you're looking at the market generally right now in terms of your buyers and are you seeing any kind of slowdown? Are you seeing more confidence? Are you seeing a cautious approach? You know, what what's the sentiment for your clients at the minute? I think the space is extremely active. Uh, I, I think there was some concern that small molecules are on their way out. I, I don't see that at all. I see tons of projects. I see a, a tremendous level of high potency investment going on with API manufacturers. That's a piece I would like to explore more is, is our investments in high potency here and marrying that up with API manufacturers that may not do milling on a routine basis 
and would not want to do a high potency investment on a million operation that they rarely use. Um, so kind of white labeling our service for commercial API uh, and putting it more on the last step of drug substance manufacture instead of the first step of formulation, I think is an avenue that we'll play around with and see if that's uh, adds value. And I, and I think all the big players out there, the, all the big CDMO players are always looking for faster speed to market and a small company can pivot and build and resolve and have higher throughput options. And that's right in that wheelhouse of, of speed to market, which, you know, so I, I see plenty of activity and I, I see plenty of pressure to do it better, faster, cheaper. Uh, so I, I think it's a really exciting time. Yeah, and I think you guys are, are well positioned for that. And TJ, that is a perfect place to end today's episode. I've really enjoyed having you on the podcast today. I'm sure our listeners have, have enjoyed your story and the kind of the incredible nature of it as well. And that brings you to where you are today. And so congratulations on the success that you had and all the, all the best for your business moving forward. I'm sure it'll continue to be a huge success. Thank you, Raymond. This is this is really enjoyable for me as well. Thank you. So there you have it. TJ Higley, the CEO at Microsize. What a great story, right? Uh, you know, that whole sale or taking control of a business, selling the business, and then recapturing the site. What a what a brilliant cyclical kind of story around Quaker Town uh, in in Pennsylvania. I suppose reflecting on some of TJ's story and some of the things that I took from today's episode, I think one of the fundamental things that you can take away is just the importance of strategic partnerships. And, you know, in his story, that strategic partnership with Derek Kennedy's company ultimately led to creating something of collective value that Capsigel in Londa, well, Capsigel that ultimately became Londa, thought was uh, too good to be true. And ultimately, they bought the business. You know, for many of you, micronization is a relatively niche area within uh, the API space. And so getting a bit of an insight into what micronization is and the benefits that it offers in terms of its speed and uh, scalability and preciseness was really interesting. And I think uh, TJ did a great job of you know, articulating that in a, in a really simple to understand uh, way. I really loved, uh, you know, the the part of the conversation today where TJ kind of, uh, in a very vulnerable manner, almost talks about the realities of when he took control of, uh, you know, the parasite's business and what that meant for him as as a family. You know, remortgaging and taking on more debt and effectively putting his neck on the line, uh, you know, to to take that business to the next level and truly believe in it. It is a real insight into what it's like being an entrepreneur and it's certainly not for everyone and he seems to be doing it a great job. I absolutely adored that line where you know he's potentially looking to start a new company back in the space that he left five years ago and he gets a call from Derek Hennigy saying, let's get the band back together. What a fantastic story that is. And you know the the narrative of then you know that team coming together, getting some great investors on board, including Mark Bamforth, actually, who's been a guest uh, on the podcast as well, and ultimately creating uh, Microsize back at the site where he had been five years earlier and then he built that business. What a what a terrific story. Uh, I really did uh, think he was a, a great guest and I hope you enjoyed the episode. So thanks to my team as always for putting today's podcast 
together. If you haven't already, please uh, give us a nice kind rating wherever you are hearing this podcast. Um, and beyond that, hopefully I'll see you in person out and about at the event this fall and in the quarter fall. Hi again. Thanks for tuning in to today's show. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. For more shows, have a look on Spotify, Apple, or Amazon, wherever you like to listen. And do make sure that you subscribe so the next episode comes direct to your device automatically. And please get in touch via our website, uh, Molecule to Market Pod, or via LinkedIn or Twitter. We love to hear from you. So if you have a guest that you want to suggest or someone in your organization that you think would make a great guest on Molecule to Market, then please let us know. We'll see you very soon. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing, an international content, digital and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile and generate leads in life sciences.